Let's turn to God's word together. And so please have your Bible open in Galatians chapter 4. And this morning we're picking up this letter of the Apostle Paul at verse 12. And we're going to hear him make a heartfelt plea. Moving staircases, escalators, as we call them, they're widely used, of course, in all kinds of buildings. And they're a convenient way of getting people safely from one level in a building to another. But have you, have you ever tried walking the wrong way up the down escalator? Maybe when you were younger, you tried it. Maybe you've been tempted to. Maybe you've watched someone as they've tried to. Trying to justify yourself before God, to make yourself acceptable to God, to achieve a sufficient degree of goodness and obedience before God in any way at all is a bit like trying to run up the down escalator with the escalator moving far faster than you could ever run. You can put as much effort into it as you like, but you're never going to make it to the top. Indeed, you'll never really get very far from the bottom. The whole point of God's law is to reveal that to you and to make you realise that you need another way. But there's an added element in God's law in that it also shows you that you are a lawbreaker and therefore guilty and condemned because of that. And this other way that you need is therefore a very big issue because the issue of your sinfulness and how to rectify it will actually determine where you spend eternity in eternal peace and rest or in eternal torment. The law of God is intended to make you see that the Lord Jesus Christ is your only hope because you need that salvation which is only found in him and you must run to him for mercy, for grace and for the forgiveness that you need and to be renewed and restored and to be reconciled to God rather than being his enemy. To try and achieve any of that through some slavish obedience to law keeping is completely futile. Now the Galatians in the past had got that, they'd understood that was the gospel message that they'd heard from Paul and others like him. This was the Jesus that they had trusted in by repentance and faith for salvation. But since then, others have come in and they have said, no, that's not enough. If you would be reconciled to God, faith in Christ is only part of it. What you must also do is start climbing up the down escalator. Now, of course, that's not what they actually said. 
but it's, it amounts to the same thing. It was this slavish obedience to the Old Testament law in order that you can even call yourself a Christian at all. Now, yes, there are certain duties and responsibilities which fall upon Christians, things which God, as your father, requires and expects of you, his child, because you are a Christian. But none of those things are what make you to be a Christian. Now, obedience to those things that God requires of you as his child, or disobedience, that may impact your usefulness. It may have an effect upon your testimony. And it's possible to please God as your father, and it's possible to displease him as your father. But they are not the things that God looks to in order to declare you as being righteous in his sight. We thought about that briefly on Wednesday. Faith alone, in Christ alone, because of God's grace alone, that is what will save you. And Paul's great concern is that another gospel has now been embraced, which depends upon upholding rules and regulations and ceremonies, even for your very salvation. He's desperate to deal with this error. And this morning we'll see the next three things that Paul has to say on this matter. So have your Bible open in chapter 4 of Galatians, beginning at verse 12. And just note the opening phrase in verse 12. Brethren, he says, I urge you. This is a, a deep, heartfelt plea. I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Paul once more, asks them to think back to that time when he first came to them with the gospel. Here in Paul is a man who was a Jew, and not only that, formerly a Pharisee, a Jew of the Jews. Now he says to them, what Jewishness did I bring with me? when I came and preached the gospel to you? Which aspects of Old Testament law was I living by, which suggested in some way that I was expecting that you would also have to embrace such things in order to be saved? There wasn't anything at all like that. Paul says that he became like them, what does he mean? He means that in terms of how he lived, all the basic things like how he washed and dressed himself compared to a traditional devout Jew, for example, what food he ate, how he ate it, who he would meet with, sit with, eat with, 
there was nothing of any significance to distinguish Paul from them. He wasn't an awkward guest to have in their homes because of all of his peculiar ways that he was expecting them to take on board as well. There was none of that in Paul. He just came alongside them and slotted right in. Now, hopefully, of course, they did notice certain things regarding his character and his demeanour. Hopefully, and I'm sure it was, hopefully his life was displaying the fruit of the Spirit, which he'll present to us in the next chapter of this letter. And that those works of the flesh that he refers to immediately before that, well, hopefully those things are nowhere to be seen. And I'm sure for the most part that was true of him. There is a, a godliness, a Christ-likeness, a righteousness about this man. But he was like them. In terms of day-to-day -day living, in terms of how he deals with the ordinary, everyday things of life, there is nothing remarkable or unusual about him at all. And those things are certainly not a part of the gospel that he preached to them and which saved them. This in large part, of course, is what he means by becoming all things to all men when he writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, from verse 19, he says this, I am free from all men, but note this, I have made myself a servant to all. That's quite some statement, isn't it? Although I am free from all men, I'm actually not under obligation to anyone. Nevertheless, of my own volition, I have made myself a servant to all. Hmm that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. When he was with the Jews, he lived like a Jew. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that, that I might win those who are under the law. If this man went through these rituals of washing, well, Paul would join him just so that it helped him to talk to him and get alongside him. To those who are without the law. Well, I live like someone who was out without the law, like these Gentile believers in Galatia. That I might win those who are without the law. Interestingly, that's what he did with the Galatians, but now they are wanting to take the law on board. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He's not suggesting he lived any way he liked. He's not suggesting he embraced all kinds of immoral lifestyles. Just that he, he, he just did what he could to get alongside people. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. So if he was in the home of a Jew, he'd happily adopt the everyday customs of a Jewish home, so as to be at ease with people 
and have those people at ease with him. If he's in a Galatian home, he'll happily adopt the everyday customs of a Galatian home, so as to be at ease with those people, and they with him. Now, of course, if there was something in their culture which was so wicked and sinful that it would be simply impossible for a Christian to engage in it, then I'm sure he would refuse to. But I guess, for the most part, that kind of thing didn't really happen that often. Because, you see, Paul had only one motive and purpose for being there. I've mentioned this quite a few times in various contexts. When Paul arrived in Galatia, he came with a message. One message. He came proclaiming truth. The truth of the gospel. With nothing else attached to it. Always be very suspicious of those who want to place other things alongside the gospel. The gospel wasn't and isn't part of a wider package. The gospel of Christ is it. This was his ministry wherever he went. And what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2, we can be confident was true of his ministry in Galatia as well. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all he talked about. That was his topic. That was his theme. That was his agenda. Christ. To present to them the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 1 of his first letter to the Corinthians, Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. There's all kinds of other knowledge that you need to have. Be careful when you hear that said. No, there isn't. You just need Christ. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Because there's just not enough there, you see. The Greeks want more than that. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul's reminding them that this is what made him stand out. This was what had gripped them and changed their lives. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. This needs to be the single standout theme in your life, in the life of every Christian, in the life of every member of Belvedere Road Church. The single standout theme of your life. The thing that grips you and changes you, changes you with nothing else confusing it. But these Galatian believers have strayed away from that and Paul is urging them to look again at his example. These Jewish things you're turning to, he says, and saying are necessary for salvation. I didn't bring any of that with me. And I'm the most Jewish of Jews you could ever hope to meet. These things were never part of my life amongst you and definitely played no part in the gospel that I preached to you. 
I became like you. But you're not like that anymore. And so now I am pleading with you to become like me. Here is a church or a group of churches. And they are no longer on the same page doctrinally and theologically as this church. They used to be, but they're not anymore. Or perhaps here's an, an individual or a group of people within a church. And they are no longer on the same page doctrinally and theologically as their church leadership. They used to be, but they're not anymore. You have to ask a question. Who has moved? Who is it that has changed their position? In Galatia, the believers have been taken in by other voices which have pulled them away from where they once were. One of the dangers of the internet is that members of churches can start to listen to other voices more than they listen to their own church teachers and preachers. And as a result, they drift away. Who has moved? Of course, one of the benefits of the internet is that you can listen to many other excellent, like-minded teachers and preachers who affirm what you're being taught in your own church and they can be a great blessing to you. But do you know which is which? You drifted away, says Paul. I urge you to become like me. But will they listen? And he's trying to convince them, secondly, that he's not the enemy. From the second half of verse 12 through to verse 15. Paul remembers what their attitude to him had been when he'd first arrived amongst them. He'd ended up preaching the gospel there because of illness. It hadn't been his plan to be in that part of Asia, but illness had curtailed his itinerary and in God's providence he'd found himself in that region and preached the gospel there. And they'd welcomed him with great gladness and with much warmth. They caused him no harm. They gave him no offence. Whatever his problem had been, and from here and elsewhere in Paul's writings, many commentators think that it may have been a serious problem with his eyes. Whatever it was, it seems that ordinarily it may have been something which would detract from his ministry. Something which they might have used as an excuse for rejecting him, for not taking him seriously. It's in our nature to be attracted towards preachers who, who have a, a certain charm and charisma. Those who can stand with a certain bearing and who look and sound the part in my opinion. It's in our nature to think that someone like that must surely be a more obvious choice for gospel ministry. 
Once more, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church makes it clear that Paul most definitely did not fit into that category. And for any who are around today who think that a preacher should look and sound a certain way, I think you'd have been very disappointed if you'd seen the Apostle Paul. There was nothing about him as a speaker which naturally drew people to him. But that hadn't mattered to the Galatians, not at all, because God had been at work. God was using the truth that Paul was proclaiming, even though the preacher himself was a very poor physical example of what you might think a preacher should be. They had received Paul as the messenger from God, God's angel. Angels are God's messengers. That's how they received Paul. With such conviction had Paul preached, so and so mighty was the work of God's Spirit among them, that it, it's like it could have been Christ himself preaching to them. And the impact of the gospel upon their lives was great. It was almost like one of those great scenes from the Gospels when Christ displayed in a most wonderful way his divine power and authority. And of course, it actually requires no less power and authority to bring lost, dead, blind, deaf sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. What blessing you enjoyed, he reminds the Galatian churches. Now don't get Paul wrong here, he's not claiming any glory for himself. He's simply stating what it was that God had been pleased to do through him amongst them. And he wants them to remember how it had been. There had been no human strength or prowess or, or show in Paul. Quite the opposite, in fact. In many ways, humanly speaking, all they had seen in him was weakness. What it had meant to them to come under the sound of the gospel and be saved. That's all, that's what it was that happened. What did it mean to you when you first came under the sound of the gospel and were saved? Does it mean less to you now than it did then? Has it lost some of its impact, perhaps? Well, perhaps that is the case in Galatia. It almost certainly is. Paul thinks back to how it was when he was amongst them. You would have plucked your eyes out for me, verse 14. Perhaps another very strong hint that Paul's illness was to do with his eyes. Your eyes were as nothing to you compared to that which you now had in Christ. And for all that you'd received in Christ, you'd have gladly given me your eyes. And with all of that between us, Paul says in verse 16, would you now really treat me as an enemy because I confront you with the truth and that truth is uncomfortable? What a change in attitude that they now feel that Paul is against them 
even though he isn't. It's a reminder that sometimes preachers make themselves vulnerable because they know that what they must say is the truth that must be said. But that in saying it, they will not exactly make themselves flavour of the month. That can certainly be true when preaching to unbelievers. But it can also be true when preaching to believers. And that's actually when it's the hardest. Paul, when he's seeking to encourage Timothy, a fellow pastor and preacher, Paul acknowledges that there will be times when it's necessary in preaching to bring rebuke and correction. He does that in both of his letters to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5 and in 2 Timothy 4. We need to be ready for those occasions when perhaps we are in need of rebuke. And when it comes, not to immediately take offence and to turn against the preacher, as the Galatians are doing with Paul, but rather to humbly take heed to ourselves. Paul is not their enemy. But it feels like he is because he's bringing them a truth which is an uncomfortable truth. Sometimes that's what a Christian needs to hear. And then thirdly, Paul wants to highlight again the fact that he is not like these others who've come amongst them. Verses 16 to 20. Paul now thinks about these Jewish believers, we'll assume they were believers, who've been leading these Galatians astray. He says a couple of things about them of great significance. He talks about them zealously courting the Galatian churches, that you may be zealous for them. They court you. Their aim is to entice and attract and persuade you and to win you over to their side. Their real interest, though, is not that you're following Christ, but that you're following them. Your spiritual good and welfare is not their real concern. Their real concern is that you agree with them. That's the most important thing to them. Having a following is what they want. Having a personal influence over you, that is their goal. They want to be able to point at all the churches who they've persuaded and influenced and feel very pleased about themselves and maybe think that this is what gospel work is. But in order to do that, Paul says, they must separate you, exclude you from people like me says Paul, from those who continue to hold the true gospel. The proof of that is the way that they've turned against Paul. Now he says, being zealous is a good thing, as long as that which you are zealous about is good. Verse 18. And as long as you're not only zealous for it when I'm with you. 
Here are some employees in their workplace and their supervisor is called away to a meeting. Chatter begins. Then they stop working so that they can talk. One goes and makes a cup of tea, even though it's not time for a tea break, and is soon joined by several others. And in no time at all, all their work has all but ground to a halt, simply because the supervisor has disappeared. Or here are school children with their teacher, and their teacher is called out of the classroom just for a few minutes, but a few minutes is all it takes for that room to turn into a riot. Paul feels a bit like that with these Galatian churches. Now some might think, oh, this is just sour grapes on Paul's part. Paul, you're just jealous that you've lost your own following. No, no, says Paul. Verse 19. Here's the difference between genuine gospel preachers and false teachers. False teachers want you to follow them. Believe the same as them. Claim you as being one of their number. That's not Paul's concern. Remember where we were in point one of this message. For Paul, it's only about Christ. When he was first with them, his heart was in agony over them. What's the best illustration he can think of? Think of a woman going through the pains of labour. All for that wonderful thing, which will be the end result, as she holds that little one in her arms. That was me over you when I preached to you the gospel of Christ, says Paul. And what was it over which I was agonising? Answer, that Christ may be formed in you, that you might turn to Christ and be eternally saved and completely transformed. And now that I see that Christ is no longer at the centre where he should be, I have those same pains all over again. Since I left you, you've just done your own thing, wandered away. Paul says, I don't want to see you finding assurance in the fact that you've done this or that, or being here or there, or celebrated such and such an event or occasion. I want to see you finding your assurance in Christ, and only in Christ. I want to know that when I'm not with you, you continue to look to Christ as much as you do when I'm with you. Not that you're looking to me, but that you're looking to Christ. It was never about following Paul. It was always and only about following Christ. It was never about loving and serving Paul, although we, we should certainly love one another. But you know what I mean. It was never about loving and serving him. It was about loving and serving Christ. 
It grieves Paul to have to speak like this to these believers, many of whom he would have known so well, but he knows he must speak in such blunt and straightforward terms. He longs that he could be with them to discover that all is well, but he says he's filled with a godly anxiety for their spiritual good. He fears for them. Have I ever known such agony of soul for the spiritual good of the Lord's people? I'm greatly challenged by that thought. Perhaps you are too. Are we as a church tempted to think that it's it's being seen to be doing this or that. It's being seen to be taking up this particular doctrinal position. It's being seen to be followers of this particular latest trend. That these are the things with which we should be most concerned. Are we tempted to think that way? Do our hearts ache over just one thing? One thing. To see Christ being formed in one another. And for many more yet to be brought to him. And in all the activities in which we are engaged, in all that we do, are we taken up by this one great theme? To see Christ being formed in those who once were lost and dead in their trespasses and sins. Are enough of our prayers each Wednesday evening taken up with this one great theme that we might see Christ being formed in one another. That's Paul's only concern. This is gospel work. This is the life of a church that by this God may indeed be glorified in his church by Christ Jesus. May the Lord grant each one of us to have a teachable spirit in the light of his word.